powerful. Well, I was thinking about several things as he was singing that before we actually get started. Um, <clears throat> the pastor at Hilltop Chapel, uh, my, my kids have gotten to know them, uh, Rod and Sashi especially, and we've met him uh, throughout the years. He's, he'd been there 15 years. He's a man, I don't know his age, he, uh, but he's been in the ministry a long time. He was a chaplain uh, with the Bryan Police Department, or some police department, I think, and uh, did some of that. But he, he uh, officially preached his last sermon last Sunday, and he retired. So, uh, so he, he got up, and there, and there, I promise you, this is an amazing thing. They start at a certain time, and at, I mean, 12 o'clock sharp, it's done. You can, you can set your clock by it. You can, you can, you can just know 12 o'clock, it's going to be over with. They're very, very punctual on that end. Um, so anyway, he, uh, he was, his wife said, what are you going to preach your last Sunday? There. And he said, well, I think I'm going to preach on women submitting to their husbands. And I'm going to preach on tithing. And I'm going to preach on serving the Lord. And uh, so anyway, she, he laughed and said, no, I'm going to preach on God's purpose for everyone. So anyway. But he told some interesting statistics that I found interesting for a person that had been there for uh, 15, uh, 15 years. Um, he, I, and I, I don't have all of them, but the ones I remember, he, um, he had done 50 weddings. I've been in the ministry 46 years, and I hadn't even come close to 50 weddings. He did 50 weddings. He had done 200 funerals. And then he told, and I, I, I missed this part. I don't know why, it wasn't, but I, I don't know how many, but he told how many uh, had been saved and baptized. And, uh, but this one was the one that really got to me. He said that he, um, he had been beside the bedside of 17 people that breathed their last. 17. Um, I've, I've been with a few, and it is really one of the most heart-wrenching times when you're there with people that you love, and they're watching their loved one stop breathing. I mean, it's, it's a very... So I just want to say, before we actually get into the message today, this is, what, this is why this day is so incredibly important. Because when your loved one, if they know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, when they breathe their last, it's not the end. It's not the end. So there's hope, eternal hope. Not just cross your fingers. You know, when we use that word, sometimes people must say, well, I sure hope, I hope there's a heaven. I hope, no, it's, it's, a, it's a confidence in what the Word of God says. And so there is eternal hope for those that know Jesus and for them to be able to, they've just, they, from your presence, they go in the presence of the Lord. It's really, really special. So I would like to do a little 
something different today, I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, and I'm going to read some passages. So before I actually begin and get into the message, I'd like to just have a word of prayer. We, we didn't do the prayer for meditation this morning, but this would be a perfect opportunity. As I think about that moment that many of us will face with our loved ones, you know, I'm going to tell you at that moment during that time when, when that happens and you know you have the confidence they know Jesus and they're all, they just went ushered into the presence of the Lord and all of those things that we know to be true, we are still human and we still cry, we still hurt, there is pain. And so I would just encourage you at this moment to just evaluate and think about the things that we're caught up in the things that we're involved in the things that are that we're preoccupied with and when it comes down to that moment no matter what these other things are when it comes down to that moment in time in your life of your family I can promise you mark it down those things are not going to really matter a whole lot because God is bringing into uh, your life I think one of the hardest, one of the most difficult things that in life that we face, and that's the death of a loved one. Saying goodbye to someone that we love that, that we won't see again till we pass away and we go in, into the presence of the Lord. So um, I just challenge you as you think about all these different things that are going through our minds and things that we're thinking about and things that we're challenged with and things that that seem to be so big to us now, please, let's, let's get things in perspective and allow the Lord to really minister to us and, and encourage us today from the Scripture. So let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for being the fact that we can sing, that we can sing about being in your presence. We can sing about the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead. We can celebrate his life. Celebrate the fact that because he lives, we will face tomorrow and we can face tomorrow and we will live on an eternity if we believe in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I just pray that we would allow you to sort out all the things that go through our minds and all the things that we bring into a service with us, the things that are probably from in light of eternity are not essential, not that important. And I pray, Lord, that you would minister your, your grace and your love and help us to, to truly worship you, to truly celebrate this day in a special way by your spirit that we would all be so united as one in one spirit that we love you we rejoice in you we are thankful to you for all that you've done for us by dying on the cross and being raised again the third day we love you father Thank you for loving us so much that you demonstrated your love toward us. 
in that while we were yet sinners, you didn't tell us to clean, clean up our lives, clean up our act, and then you would do something. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we thank you. We love you. We're, we're grateful. Pray this message would be exactly the way you want it to be preached. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we do have a special, I noticed, Dick, I don't know who set this up, but I see the crosses there on the table. That's good. That, I could see that from that angle over there, if you can imagine. That's really, that's really neat. I think that's really neat. I really hate to disturb that, actually. But, uh, <clears throat> but today we have, and I asked my wife on the way in, I said, can you remember an Easter that we had the Lord's Supper and celebrate Easter at the same time. Since I've been the pastor here since 86, anybody remember that we did it? I, because we've always had the choir and we've always had, you know, a lot, of, a lot going on. And I don't ever remember in all these years since 1986, I don't remember having the Lord's Supper and celebration of Easter, celebrating the risen precious Lord Jesus at the same time. So this is, this is a special day. And this, we're living in a world of chaos. I mean, it is chaos and confusion and heartache and pain. And, you know, it's the church. We have a message. We have an opportunity. We, in all of this, and it is by far crazier than most of us ever dreamed it would be in our lifetime. And just when you think it may be doing a little better, then things begin to unravel more. But there's, we have a mission. We have an opportunity. This is, the, this is the opportunity to tell people there's only one place. There's only one place that you can go for rest and peace for your souls. And we need to show them. They need to not just hear it as we preach it. You know, we're telling them this. They need to see us demonstrate that we have that peace and that we have that rest in our souls. In the midst of the storm, in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the pressure, in the midst of the craziness, they need to see the church standing firm, confident, that our sovereign God is in total control. And none of this has caught him by surprise. They need to know that Jesus Christ, God's Son, God come in the flesh, that God sent him to die for each one. They need to hear that. They need to be told. They need to be reminded that God loved you so much that he, that he sent his son. And I'm going to do something here. Hold your fingers there or put something there in Colossians. Let's, let's just read together John 3.16. Can, can we wear out John 3.16? Is there a way to do that? I mean, I don't think so. Look at John 3.16. Read along with me. For God, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, 
that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This is the message. We need to be telling folks. We need to be showing them. They need to be able to see a difference in our lives. That they need to, to know. They need to turn to Jesus Christ and believe on Him and, uh, and for salvation. He is willing to save them. He is ready to save them. He is eager to save them from all eternity in hell. He's paid the price. And if they would just turn their lives over to the Lord Jesus Christ. So what I'd like to do in this message today is I want to read a, a few passages here in Colossians and a few other places. I'm going to make some brief comments and then we'll have our Lord's Supper. So as we look at the scripture, Colossians 2. And this is, this is a Bible study. What I'm about to read is a Bible study. This, is, this could be weeks of preaching if you took each piece. But I just felt led, really led today for us to be reminded, for us to be reminded of what, what God has done through the sacrifice of His Son for us on the cross. Colossians 2.9, we'll begin there. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That's, what's that, a month's worth of preaching right there? <laughs> right, John? John's over there, Jacqueline. I mean, that's, that's, that's powerful right there. For, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. You know, does anybody, has anybody here ever suffered from um, maybe just not feeling good about yourself or whatever, and you ever just wonder? What if, if you were, if you know Jesus, what if you heard God's voice say to you today, you're complete in him? You are complete. You are complete in Him. Don't let the devil browbeat you and beat you up over stuff. You are complete in Him. And I'm going to tell you, that verse personally has ministered to me. And you are complete in Him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also ye are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now look at these verses. We're not going to break all of them down, but just look at this. Buried with him, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God. Who hath raised him from the dead, and you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, with him, having forgiven you. Would you say that three-letter word with me? How many? All. So I think you could try that again. He's forgiven what? All 
trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, and look at this, nailing it to his cross. Nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers and made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Some powerful, powerful scripture. You're risen with him. You're risen with him. Through the faith of the operation of God. I've done it many times before, but I, I, I like to revisit, even though I've learned something and made notes of it. I looked up the word operation again, and you know, I, I'm sorry, I, I'm not going to attempt in front of all of you to say Greek words. I've never done that. I'm sure it would be impressive if I could. Somebody, some of you might actually say, wow, you might pass out. But let me spell it for you, because I can spell it. The Greek word for uh, operation is E-N-E-R-G-E-I-A. The English word is energy. W. Vine says it means the power, the power of God. The operation of God is the power of God. Kind of amazing. Hold your finger there in Colossians. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1. Look at verse 19 and following. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power? We're talking about some power of God going on and taking place here. And this is this word, operation of God. It's talking about the mighty power, the strength of God, the power of God. Let me read that one again. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward, who believe according to the working of his mighty power? I'm telling you, because we are in Christ, that power resides in us. The power of Christ. It's to usward who believe. That that great power. And then, verse 13, And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him. See, this is all important that we understand that we are in Christ. 
with him hath forgiven you all trespasses. All trespasses. You've been forgiven. All trespasses. And then 14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. These, these written ordinances, they're against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Nailing it to his cross. Now, you know, I, I'm not a Greek scholar, don't pretend to be, so I have to read what other scholars have to say. And I really like W.E. Vine. I've, I learn a lot from W.E. Vine. And even though I don't line up 100% with John MacArthur, Dr. John MacArthur, on some of his doctrines, his beliefs and teachings on doctrines, but I do love him as a brother. And there's nobody, we talk about Pastor Joe exegeting Scripture, nobody that in our lifetime probably exegetes more Scripture than Dr. John MacArthur. And so I do, I do like to read some things that he says, and so I looked up what he had to say about this handwriting, the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. And it was interesting, as he wrote... The word handwriting is bond, and it refers to the hand. And I want you to listen to this. This is really, I mean, I like this. It's, it's simple, but it's profound. This refers to the handwritten certificate of debt by which the debtor, by which the debtor acknowledged his indebtedness. Okay, does that make, it refers to the handwritten certificate of debt by which the debtor acknowledged his indebtedness. So all people, referring to Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, owe God an unpayable debt. People owe God an unpayable debt for violating the law of God. James 2.10. I mean, you can. there are other scriptures, Galatians 3.10, but James 2.10, you violate one law, you break one law of God, you're guilty, the scripture says, of breaking them all. So all people, because all have sinned, Owe God an unpayable debt for violating his law and are under the sentence of death. For the wages of sin is what? The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. So he says, Paul graphically compares God's forgiveness of believers' sins to, and I found this fascinating too, and and. I'm not sure everybody's going to agree 100%, but God's forgiveness of believers of sins to wiping ink off parchment. Through Christ's sacrificial death on the cross, God has totally erased our certificate of indebtedness 
and made our forgiveness complete. And what did he do with that certificate, that handwritten certificate of debt with all the violations? He nailed it to his cross. He nailed it to his his cross. Another incredible fact concerning forgiveness. So the list of crimes, this, again, if you understand any kind of history and you read about it and learn this is how it was done, the list of crimes of a crucified criminal were nailed to the cross with that criminal to declare the violations that he was being punished for. So when a man was being crucified for crimes, those crimes were nailed to his cross and listed for the onlookers to see. So they could see. And it, believe me, I do believe it's a deterrent. And so, the violations, the things that they are found guilty for, are nailed full display on the cross. It's kind of amazing that Matthew 27, 37, and set up over his head his accusation written, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. So the believer's sins were all put to Christ's account, nailed to his cross as he paid the penalty in our place for every single one. Thus satisfying the wrath of God against crimes, our crimes, against God, requiring punishment in full. Having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly. This verse, there's so much there. The picture of Satan being disarmed and making a public show. And you've heard it, I don't know how many times, you've all heard this account of the parade, the victorious general, they have the parade, and then they have uh, the, the defeated leaders and soldiers, and they, they're parading them through the streets, and they're yelling and cheering, and it's this open show of victory over the enemy. And that's what the cross, it's telling you the cross, the cross, disarming Satan, a public show, a ceremony and a parade showing that Satan has been defeated. There's so many verses. Well, I looked at, I hadn't looked at it a while, but the Harmony of the Gospels. Do y'all all know what the Harmony of the Gospels is? If you've got a Thompson Bible, you can look in the back and you can find it. I forgot what page, 274 or something. You can look up the Harmony of the Gospels. And at a glance, you can see where 
the crucifixion occurred in Matthew 27, 35 through 38. And you can see Mark 15, 25 through 28. And Luke 23, 33 through 38. And John 19, 18 through 24. You can see it at a glance. And then you can see the different account. I mean, as Pastor Joe was saying this morning about the ones who came first and the ones who came second. It's all, you can look at the harmony of the gospels and you can see it very clearly in the scriptures where it shows up in the scriptures. Where Jesus died, where he rose again. I really believe that everyone was surprised that he was raised from the dead. Now, people in those days, you've got to realize this was not the first crucifixion they had observed. This happened from time to time where folks would have to die on a cross being crucified for their crimes and their individual crimes being listed and displayed, but none had died on a cross and come back to life. None of them. So it's understandable you know, don't fault the disciples. Though Jesus had warned them and told them multiple times, but don't fault them or blame them that they actually thought his death was final. I, re I think this was Charles Stanley that pointed this out. I, I read a little bit of Charles Stanley. I think he pointed this out. You notice none of his disciples were waiting at the tomb for him to be raised. I mean, they weren't sitting there waiting. And the women that came, they were coming to a, for a dead body. So, they had been told, but they just had a hard time believing that this was really going to happen. So it, as I prayed this week, and I said, Lord, we're going to have the Lord's Supper. We're going to have a little extra music, maybe. Um, it doesn't need to be long. So I have a simple, simple message. And I wanted to read the Colossians because it's so powerful to think about all that's been done on our behalf, how important all of this is. But I want to take you to a very common verse that we use, we refer to, but I think it is key to the point that I'm about to make, the simple message. I want you to turn, if you would, to Romans 10.9. 10.9 and 10. Need to see this. <clears throat> and I'm wanting to be very clear. Verse 9, that if thou shalt confess, confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. I believe you can say safely, confess with your mouth Jesus is your Lord. And that has strong implications. Lordship 
A lot of people don't preach lordship anymore. But lordship is key to salvation. That means he's in control. He's in charge. You don't get saved and start telling him how you're going to live. You get saved and you start submitting to him. But if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. Now look at this next part. And believe and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. With the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now I want to be clear so that people don't misunderstand. You may not agree with the teaching on tithing, and you could still go to heaven. You may not agree that it's best to be in church the first day of the week. And you still could go to heaven. You may not agree with church government, congregational rule versus elder rule. And you could still go to heaven. You may, and get into the doctrines, all the different doctrines, but we'll just take one. You may not agree with election or free will, but you still go to heaven. And the list can go on and on and on. But I stand here before you today very firmly saying, you're going to have to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ to be saved. However you want to say it, and I know that we, you know, have this sinner's prayer and that sinner's prayer, believing, belief, trusting Jesus, turning to Jesus, accepting Jesus in your heart, however you say it, whatever it is about your salvation, it has to include the fact that and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Mark my words. Mark my words. There will not be one soul in heaven that does not believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is an absolute. It's a must. It's a requirement. Now let me just read again something I read from Dr. John MacArthur. And I, God had already settled this in my heart. This was what I was going to preach before I read what he said. And then I read it and I told my wife, I said, yes, even Dr. MacArthur agrees with me. That's pretty rare, but anyway. Um, not really, but. This is what he wrote. Christ's resurrection was the supreme validation of his ministry. Listen, belief in it is necessary for salvation. And all God's people said? Amen. And all God's people said? Amen. Amen. 
Belief in it is necessary for salvation because it proved that Christ is who he claimed to be and that the Father had accepted his sacrifice in the place of sinners. Without the resurrection, there is no salvation. So in all this time, since 1975, when I left HPD and I went to my first pastorate, April of 75, I've never said it so strongly as I'm saying it here today. People, I don't know where you stand on what you believe about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm assuming you're here because you do believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. But based on Romans 10, 9, you better believe it if you ever hope to go to heaven. And if you're struggling with the resurrection of Christ, you really need to start praying and digging and, and asking for help. Because it's essential to salvation. And it's not an add-on. This is not, when you believe in Jesus, when you believe in, you believe in, in the virgin birth, you believe that he is God in the flesh, you believe that he was raised from the dead. That's believing in Jesus. It's the whole total person and, and his life. And I just have to say this. I can't help but say it. You study, you study the handwriting, the certificates nailed to his cross, all those things, I can't imagine taking all of that and the fact of the glorious resurrection of Jesus Christ and trying to combine that with pagan, worldly thinking. I, I, just, I just think it's a shame that the church can't see past it. Do something another day. Do something. Why does it have to be on the day? Do it on Wednesday. Do it on Thursday. Do something else. It's, I mean, to entertain kids and have fun with kids, listen, there isn't anybody in the place that loves that any more than I do. But to try to mix it at the same time we're talking about salvation and the Lord paying our, our sin debt and, and dying in our place and taking paying that, that judgment and that empty tomb and all of it and then try to combine it, you know, just take a deep breath and then turn and say, now let's do this. I just don't understand it. Because this is so rich, so powerful, so real to the believer. To think that God loves us that much. That all of this and the things that Pastor Joe was pointing out this morning. All the things that Jesus has gone through for us. Take our place on Calvary. So we ask you, if, you, if you're not saved today. Please consider, 
please consider believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe that, that God has raised him from the dead. And we just encourage you today. What a day. What a day to be saved. What a day to come to Jesus. What a day. You know that we have missionaries. Dick Bauckham every week has been sending me a text. Prayed for you all week this week. I guess just got that. Praying for us. That a great revival will begin and take place in America. And that's something. Praying for this service right now. That if there's someone in the sound of my voice that's never accepted Jesus Christ, today could be the day. Don't worry about what you, you know, what do people think or what do they say. Just think about what God thinks. And turn to Jesus Christ today for salvation. He loves you and he died for you and he was raised for each one of us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so grateful to you for your love and your grace and your mercy. We're thankful that you, that you demonstrated your love, that you are such a loving, wonderful, heavenly Father. Jesus paid that price for each one of us. I pray that today that people be saved. People recognize their lostness, their lost condition. And I pray that they would be saved, they'd run to Jesus turn their lives over to him. We thank you now for the word of God. It's so clear, so plain, so victorious. And we trust you to accomplish your will during this invitation time. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.